Hello and welcome. You are listening to an episode of the Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. We really hope that you enjoy and benefit from this episode. Hello folks, welcome to another episode of the Sales Chat Show, saleschatshow.com, driving your sales success. It's Simon Hazeldean here with my esteemed colleague Mr. Graham Jones and my esteemed colleague Mr. Phil Jessen. And in this episode, we're talking about reducing your customer's risk perception so that you get the sale. Uh, as you may know, regular listeners to the Sales Chat Show will know that Phil Graham and myself are... Uh, amongst other things, we're professional speakers, and as we're recording this episode, we're about three weeks away from the Professional Speaking Association's annual mega convention, a big conference where we all get together. So we've been talking about our customers who are meeting planners or event organisers who are booking us, and the fact that what they often want to do is to see, a, see you speak, or they want to at the minimum see video footage of you speaking, because we were just having a conversation that said we think the buying process from their side is they want to make sure you're not really bad before they start looking at whether you're actually any good because they are potentially got 500 people at their annual sales convention and if they book a speaker who is awfully bad that's bad news for them might be a bit career limiting um, because everybody's going, who was responsible for booking the really bad speaker? Who booked who, them? Who booked that boring person <laughs> who bored us for 45 minutes? Uh, so that is, uh, I think we think is a, a, a sort of a characteristic of, of, of the market that we're operating in. And I guess that's a, that's a sort of a, like a personal need of that buyer to make sure that you're safe, you're solid, there's no risk. And I think it was the uh, very famous American marketeer, um, Jay Abraham, who popularized the concept of risk reversal. So in your marketing, that you should take all the risk away from the customer and take it entirely yourself as the supplier, therefore reducing any possible resistance to the sale. Um, but Graham, you've got some some sort of data from your well, psychological perspective on, on how people reduce risk. So the reason we want to reduce risk, and we want to reduce risk in everything we do, so, and the reason for that is it's about our survival, our ability to survive. So our brain is constantly monitoring everything you do to reduce the risks in order to protect you and keep you alive in all kinds of different ways. And so um, anything we do, whether it's buying something, our brain doesn't know the difference between buying something and walking across a road. It, to us, it, to the brain, it's just a risk. And so it wants to make sure that whatever we do, we've got to reduce the risk of doing it. And the problem is that we do that by seeking information to, to get lots of inputs into our brain, for our brain to be able to work out what's the risk. So if you take your speaker example, and you said about watching the video to see are you a safe pair of hands kind of thing, in the past, 10 years ago before YouTube, they had no chance of watching a video unless a speaker happened to produce a VHS cassette. Or am I giving my age away by saying <laughs> VHS cassette? Is um, that similar to Betamax? It's similar. Yeah, I bought Betamax. Never mind. That's, <laughs> <laughs> it was technically superior. That was clearly a risky buying decision. Risky decision. Yeah. But 
in the in those olden days, the way the speaker booker, the event planner, reduced their risk was to ask other people who'd seen that speaker. So other meeting planners, have you booked Simon Hazeldean? Is he any good? And they would reply, yeah, he's great. You'll be perfectly okay booking him. And they would take that. That's the only information they had. They had no other way. Then along comes video. So now they can go, okay, well, I can get that bit of information for somebody who recommends them and who's seen them, but there is more information available to me. So the brain goes, you haven't probably assessed the risk because you've not collected all the information yet. There's other information there. So they watch the video. And then their brain goes, well, there's their website to look at and there's their social media to look at, and there's their book to look at. And so they delay making the decision because the more information is available, the more information the brain needs to assess the risk. So here's the problem that we now face in sales, that unless there is that lots of information, unless your products, your services, your business has a massive internet footprint, then people are unable to determine the risk. So that's a sort of an action for salespeople listening to take some action on that yeah. for marketing departments etc to make sure <clears throat> that that information is there that makes the customer feel that you are safe I think is yeah. where it, we're going an example this. of this is in retail websites so retail websites that just give you you know here's the product picture and here's a brief summary and here's the price tend to sell much less on their websites than those websites that have tabs across the top that say you know here's the summary here's the details here's the product data sheet here's the all the other background information about it here's 20 pictures of it in different views and so on the, those websites sell a, a vastly amount more yeah. because they're giving you even more information so the information makes the person's brain feel more comfortable yeah. minimizes the sense of risk perception makes the purchase decision Far more likely. Yeah. Is it? Far more likely. So they don't necessarily read it. It's the fact that it is there, and they are reassured by the fact. It's that the, it's the point Simon just made about their brain feeling comfortable about it. Yeah. That they need to feel yeah. comfortable about the information. So the fact that there's a um, data sheet about this product on the website that's a, you know, it might be a web page or it might be a PDF download. Mm. The fact that it's there makes them feel comfortable that the information is there to help them reduce the risk if they want the information. Actually, they're not going to read it. They are unlikely to look at it. But the mere fact it's there is making them feel more comfortable. It's a little bit like how I guess you know my, my wife and I would use TripAdvisor to choose a hotel or a holiday destination. Is you'd sort of have a look on TripAdvisor and 572 people have given it a four or a five star review. That sheer weight of numbers says the risk is actually really yeah. minimal that you're going to turn up and it's going to be horrendous. And, and I now reduce my risk in hotels by using TripAdvisor because I didn't use it once and I went to a hotel in Nottingham and it was a dreadful hotel and as I lay there in this dirty room wondering what on earth people had said on TripAdvisor about it and went to TripAdvisor and every single one was a one-star review saying things like, do not stay in this hotel, the worst hotel in Britain, do not stay in this hotel, it's the dirtiest hotel in the world kind of thing. Review after review saying don't stay there and I'd not minimise my risk. Yeah. So yeah. now that taught me, actually, if I am going to check out anything, I'm going to check TripAdvisor simply because I don't want that experience. Yeah. And you'll find more and more people do this. So are you in a product area or a service area where you're being compared? Are you in, you know, if you're in selling legal services, 
there are websites that review legal services. Yes. How do you fare on those? And what's your footprint on those? Because that's really important to get that footprint to minimise people's risk. And Phil, you were saying that you did some research with your long-standing customers, people who were loyal customers of yours, and you were asking them why they used you on a recurring basis. I'm, I'm assuming you weren't asking them in the sort of manner of what on earth? Why on earth do you? <laughs> why on earth do you work with me? I'm sure you weren't phrasing it like that. So <laughs> I'll make a note of that and ask that one next time. Yes, um, you're absolutely right. Um, but just to go back and look at the big picture here, yep. there's a lot of research done at the back end of the '80s under that general heading of buyer motivation, as it was mm. called. Uh, three big blocks of motivational needs were identified. Uh, first of all, what was referred to as a product, i.e. the product has to solve the problem, yeah. i.e. the need exists in the, in the first place. The second area was what the research uh, referred to as financial. That doesn't mean that we have to be the cheapest. It has to simply mean that the numbers make sense. The return on investment makes sense. The third area, which is uh, where I'm headed with this, uh, is what the research referred to as the personal motivators, and it broke that down into four main areas. Um, some people, according to the research, are motivated at a personal level by achievement. They will buy our products and services either to, to help the business achieve a goal or probably to help them personally achieve a goal and get promoted or whatever. The second area is what the research referred to as influence, Sometimes people will buy our products and services to become more influential in their own organisations and so on. Uh, the third area uh, is security, which is what we're talking about now. Uh, and the fourth area uh, is what the research referred to as affiliation, a rather old-fashioned word. But I guess today it's all about, we would call it relationships. And yeah. some people, of course, are motivated to buy things because they like the account manager that's come to see them. They like all the people. Uh, often, of course, there are clues in the customer's office on those four. People who are motivated by achievement have probably got a certificate on the wall somewhere. Yes. People that are motivated by influence have probably got a photograph on the wall of them shaking Richard Branson's hand. Uh, those that are motivated by security have probably got a photograph of the most secure outfit they know, the family. And those that are motivated by relationships and affiliation, probably the hotel shot in Jersey on the golf course with the full 80-strong company lineup, all smiling. So back to your uh, point. Yes, I did some research with my customers and simply said to them, you know, why do you continue to use me? And I set off with that research, hoping to hear words like innovative, creative, go the extra mile, or whatever it happens to be. I wouldn't expect anything less. Thank you. I am reassured by that. Um, in fact, it was very surprising um, to me to find that the two words that featured more than any other were certainty and guaranteed. So they're in the same family yeah. of words, clearly. But what the customer was really saying, and my, my customer typically would be the sales director or sales and marketing director, they were really saying, um, I am buying you for the personal reason that there is no risk. You yeah. are guaranteed to turn up. 
I can be certain that the product is of its moment, not yesterday's. I can be certain that the people will enjoy the two days. Uh, I can be certain that when I bump into them in the corridor, they will talk favourably about it. And I can be certain that at a meeting in a few months' time, uh, they will probably ask to see Phil come back. So, interestingly, uh, that area of low risk was a massive buying motivator for my clients. It also um, raises the question, I think, for all of our listeners and us as well, that when you think about the messages that we put on the homepage of the website, if you work on the basis that these personal motivators do exist, and if you work on the basis that people buy at an emotional level, not a rational level, a huge chunk of that is that people are buying peace of mind. Yes. And I wonder whether we have words like trusted partnership or peace of mind on the website Mm. that will appeal, quite deliberately appeal, to those emotional uh, needs that people have. There was a head of learning and development that I was talking to a couple of years ago, and uh, we were just having a sort of a a quite casual conversation about the organisations he'd contracted with. He brought in external trainers and consultants. And it's very interesting because it's quite close to what, what Phil's just been saying. <clears throat> and, and what was it that he liked and disliked? And he said, I just like people who turn up, do an amazing job, and then go away with the minimum amount of fuss. And he quoted an example of an extremely high-maintenance supplier <laughs> that they that they had, almost to the point of like legendary sort of rock bands who won't have blue M&Ms or something in the, in the, in the candy bowl or something like that. But I think he was saying it's, he, wants, he wants hassle-free, mm. but I think he also wants these, he's talking about reliable, mm. turn up, do a good job and go away. And he didn't mean to be disrespectful, no. but... You come in, make your positive contribution, deliver the goods, and then it's easy as well for the customer. I just want to put paid to this rumour about blue M&Ms. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's, is it apocryphal? Um, no, it, it isn't. It's absolutely true. And things like, you know, you can only have um, certain type of water in the room and yeah. all these kind of things. That it sounds like they're being prima donnas, but it's not. It's about the record company reducing risk. And this is about because you've got some big star, you've got a big team, you need them to come in, into the venue, they've got to deliver a performance to maybe 25,000 people, yeah. and it's got to be brilliant, so everything's got to work. So that means the people you're buying from have got to have read the contract. And so what you do is you put things in the contract, like we must only have blue M&Ms, and when you arrive and there's only blue M&Ms, you know they've read the contract, yeah. and therefore you can depend upon them. Which is why, you know, it's a bit. Why do you book those venues? Because they get everything right for the for that very important performance. And it's a bit. I think Phil should go out and buy dependablefill.com because obviously that's why people are buying from you. (laughs) But but, you know, we joke about it, but actually that is why people are buying from you because they can depend upon you. And that's why you know we think it's a bit prima donnaish to ask for blue M and M's. But actually, it's the same thing. It's risk reduction. Yeah, it's a safe pair of hands. Yeah, it's another everyday They want to know the venue has read the contract, so they'll do everything, and there's going to be no problems. 
they can depend on the venue. Yeah, that's an interesting, interesting. And I think and I think Phil, you're 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 talking about clients who are booking you again and again and again and repeat business. You have to deliver that consistency and dependability because you're kind of only as good as your last outing with a client, aren't yeah. you? Mm. You're only as good as your last shopping experience. The restaurant is only as good as its last last meal. And and if you get it right. 95% of the time if you do drop a clanger occasionally there's a mistake it will stand out as a mistake and you're still and it, it's probably why the data shows that if you mess up and put it right really well the customer satisfaction increases because perhaps their sense of risk goes wow even when they get it wrong yeah. the risk is minimised risk is minimised mm. and certainly for, for the research I was doing when I was writing my book on uh, neuroscience and selling, you know, backing up what Graham was saying earlier, is the real primary motivating forces in the primitive parts of the brain is to stay away from discomfort and move towards comfort, and it's the stay away from discomfort or pain or danger that kicks in first, yeah. which was where we were when we were having our conversation earlier. Let's mo- let's make sure you're safe. Now let's talk about the great stuff yeah. Yeah. that you're going to you're going to deliver, yeah. and it's giving those it's giving those sort of guarantees and. Um, there was something I was I was um, listening to on a, a podcast recently about um, a company in America that made some quite specialist underground piping, and their marketing message was all around um, scientific and how clever it was and so on and so forth. And a, a consultant was working with them and found out by asking. He said, "Do these do these pipes ever fail? Do they ever break?" And the the, the guy who owned the company said, "No, no." He said, they never fail. They, once you fit them, they're, they're, they'll last forever. And he said, well, why don't you give a, a lifetime guarantee then in your marketing? And the guy said, well, there's no point because they never go wrong. But he said, no, that's the point. They never, they never go wrong. And it was staring the guy in the face. And apparently sales rocketed because how confident is that? Mm. Um, and so if you are able to give those sorts of guarantees to customers, mm. you know, no risk, you know, if you just don't get many returns, for example, you just mm. don't get many problems, then you're totally safe to yeah. guarantee. You're never going to have, to, nobody's ever going to call you on it. If, well, you, if, if you offer a guarantee, and you should offer a guarantee, yeah. because that reduces risk, because you're saying to the purchaser, we're prepared to take that risk away from you by offering you the guarantee. If you can't offer the guarantee, what you're saying is... We don't even believe in our own products and services. Yeah. And that's giving another <clears throat> subliminal message to people that you don't believe in them. So why should they? Why should they believe that their risk is going to be reduced when you're not even prepared to take the risk away from them? Mm. So if, you, if your products and services can't be guaranteed, then you need better products and services. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. And I think also think about risk as you go through your buying process with your customers, obviously the, you know, the higher the amount of money they're spending or the longer period of time they're contracted to you, the more careful they're going to be. And then work out ways, you know, they can have a demonstration, they can talk to other customers who work with you, do a live testimonials or live over the telephone or meetings, pilots, things like that. We often, first, as we were doing sales training, we'll run a pilot for them first, first of all, get the feedback and then, then they, they're happy to then go for a full Yeah, roll out. You know, they'll they'll say, "Yeah, we're we're going to now use you. We're going to roll out over twelve countries, sales training for everybody." But first of all, we want to do a pilot, and that's a that's a that's a very sensible thing for a for a for a customer to do. And uh, in uh, in my world, I've I've certainly referred to uh, money back guarantee from time to time. I don't mention it on every single occasion, but I have mentioned it before. 
Um, and uh, in all of the years that I've been in this role, I've only ever done that once. And interestingly, the customer didn't ask me for the money, but I wasn't happy with the level of support I got from the customer. So I wrote them a cheque and sent the money back. And interestingly, I've told that story many times. And now when I revisit that story, I realise it says something hopefully about my integrity yes. as well yes. as yeah. the money back <clears throat> guarantee yeah. part of the story. So maybe through the telling of that story, I reduce the risk, but I'm also saying something obliquely about the integrity of the operation that I run. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then, then you get that trust. And then when you get to the position where the customer trusts you, well, then you're in a whole different yeah. place. I mean, you're almost, you're almost bomb-proof from competitive attack, I think, because mm-hmm. that, that, deep, yeah. that deep-seated certainty is, is there. And Phil, I just um, had a question. You, you mentioned earlier about those, those four different motivators. Um, having been in your office, I'm a little confused because you, you do have a number of certificates. There's that photo of you shaking hands with Richard Branson. There's the photos from your golf holiday and photos of your family. Is that because you're a very well-balanced person? Is uh, that the... <laughs> I think it's because I'm very confused, Simon, but the, uh, the counselling is helping. <laughs> and of course, Mr. Jesson and Mrs. Jesson are currently in the process of moving, so heaven knows what you've done with all of those nice photos. But we uh, we wish you the very best of luck with your house move. I can guarantee he'll find a place for them. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. So this has been a sales chat show attempting to reduce the risk that your customers your customers are facing. It's been uh, Phil Jesson, Graham Jones, and Simon Hazeldean. Just like to wish you good luck and good selling and speak to you very soon. You have been listening to an episode of The Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. And from everyone here at The Sales Chat Show, we'd like to wish you good luck and good selling. (laughs) 